Happy New Year! Happy New Year to you too. Welcome back. That was a 2024. Quite the year. Quite the year. Quite the year. Ready for the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm super stoked. Um, I want to give a big shout out to everyone that listened this past year. That was our first year. And today marks the official beginning of our 2024 season here on JK Moto Podcast. So uh, I think it was a great first year. Obviously, we started kind of halfway through. Yeah. What, about a quarter of the way through, I guess? It'll be good. Well, why don't you get the business part out of the way? The business part? The business part. Um, you worked I, on your introduction. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Well, I just had a drink, so it's going to be real. <clears throat> oh, welcome back to your favorite motorcycle podcast, JK Moto Podcast. Uh, motorcycle podcast for every average, everyday motorcycler out there, especially track goer, track racer, club racer, even Moto America racer, whatever you might be. This is the spot. We talk about it all. And we don't know it all, but we won't tell you anything that ain't true. So brought to you this week by Working Class Customs, a custom fabrication shop out of northern Utah. You can ask Cole about any more info on that. Welcome back. Welcome back. So we have a we have a special guest to start out the 2024 year. New acquaintance to me. Great guy. Let's roll that intro and get Jeff Whitmer on here. Sounds good. Send the intro. Yesterday at one point, I was unsick. live man i was gonna change that for 24 well hey how about that new intro though the yeah, new intro is good i like it. it is a, it is a good new intro not not too too much different uh if you're on any if you're just listening you probably couldn't quite tell the differences but slide on over to youtube at working class customs youtube channel is where we're at and watch the intro there it's pretty sweet pretty sweet intro got some new stuff uh and then real quick before we bring our guest on i want to give a shout out to a couple guys that reached out to us uh first off we got nick Again, I'm keeping last names out of it unless you uh, message me again and say you want your last name in it. But Nick messaged me some weeks ago about some brakes on a Jixer. He goes to the track quite a bit. Uh, so thanks for reaching out, Nick. Appreciate it. Appreciate you listening. And then also James just recently reached out to us this past weekend. Or, sorry, not weekend, week. Uh, about UMC, USBA. Just kind of general stuff like that. So thanks, James. Hopefully we got some some questions answered for you and for both of you, honestly, and uh, hopefully more answers to come. So without further ado, should we uh, bring a guest on? Yes, sir. Hello, Jeff. W- welcome to the show. Today we're pleased to, have, pleased to have Jeff Whitmer, former WSMC racer, current CVMA racer. I'm sure there's a lot of stuff I'm missing there, but that's what this is all about. We're going to get get into some of that. Um, sure. current, currently the service manager for Long Beach BMW. Hey, I was just going to say, what's, what's on the shirt there, Jeff? It's, uh, yeah, it's the shop that I work, Long Beach BMW Motorcycles. If I could, I want to, I want to take this, I want to take this way back. You know, young guys like me and you, it's yeah. not that far back, but you know, way back. It's a ways back there. <laughs> you guys know what year it is? 
<laughs> yeah, they just changed it. It's easy to remember when they just changed it. <laughs> Except for when you're writing it. <laughs> That's, That's true. true. Yeah. That is true. So I want for us, for the audience, you know, I, I had the pleasure of meeting you at CVMA round three and we got to talk a little bit there. I've heard some things about you, you know, through mutual acquaintances. They, because I ride a BMW, they're always, oh, you got to talk to Jeff. You got to talk to Jeff. So, so we got, we got to chat about that some, but I want to, I want to go way back and we'll get back to CVMA and all that fun stuff, but way back. Okay. What got you into riding motorcycles? As long as I could remember, my dad always had bikes. He was into the old uh, two-stroke Yamahas, the okay. like the RDs. Mm-hmm. I can remember, I don't know, four or five years old. He was at work. Mom was in the house. I was out under the little garage area that we had, and the bike was sitting there on the center stand. I remember somehow getting the fuel tank opened and sticking my hand down in the tank, sloshing the fuel around and knocking the bike over, breaking the turn signals off of it and trying to figure out how to start it. And it was shortly thereafter, my dad, okay, well, if you're going to be around these things, let's, you know, start showing you the right way and ride me around. So uh, about four or five, he bought me a a mini bike and just, I don't think I've been without a bike since. Wow. So, all right. So talking mini, mini for dirt, mini for road. uh, No, it was a, it was a dirt bike. One of the old full start Briggs and Stratton engine rigid frame mini bikes like yeah i think it was a paco okay gotcha tracking so started out on dirt yeah rode uh quite a bit of dirt turned 16 i bought my first street bike was oddly enough an rd350 it had a bunch of stuff done to it and uh rode it around for a while blew it up rebuilt it without having any instruction on how to do it and kind of figured it out and I remember my dad coming into the garage one night saying, oh, yeah, joking around. It'll never run again. And a day or two later, I ripped it up and down the street and kind of actually gave up on it shortly thereafter and just bought another bike. Yeah, that's usually easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Back then, you could, you know, you could buy a decent used bike for three, four hundred bucks and, you know, go out and and ride. Um, Oh, man. Three or four hundred bucks for a motorcycle. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, brand new, I think they were twenty five hundred, three grand. And then actually, you know, I, I, one little blurb in there before I even had my license, I'd missed the school bus one day and my dad had an old GS. I think at that time it was like an 850 and uh, I missed a school bus and was kind of not showing up for school enough, needed to be there. So uh, I missed the school bus, found the keys to dad's bike and rode to school that day. Wasn't even 16 yet, 14, 15, something like that. And uh you're saying on you... the way home, on the way home, got pulled over for like yeah. 85 and a 45. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, back then it was, you know, small town, Pennsylvania, where I'm from back then, it wasn't uh, a big deal. I got a little bit of tune out by the, the deputy and uh, he actually knew my dad told me uh, to make sure that my dad knew he would be reaching out to him in the next couple of days and letting him know, which he never did. But I told on myself. So. Yeah. It's a good trick they play sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hey, you made it to school though, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that was my emphasis for the conversation. I went to school. <laughs> <laughs> the whole day? Straight to and straight from. Oh, there you go. That's not bad. Yeah. I don't know so if you, I could be mad at that. You started missing the bus more often after that? or? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, no, pretty bad. When I finally got my license, I had a car or a bike for for all of that. So it didn't matter. That was one of you answered one of my questions. So you're in California now. 
Correct. Uh, you just said you were from Pennsylvania. Correct. So how do we get to California from Pennsylvania? So military joined the Air Force and uh, ended up out here and thought that I hated it when I got out, went back to Pennsylvania, kind of worked for a big company that had me bouncing all over and realized the first winter hit, kind of realized how much I did kind of enjoy California. And yeah, northeast. A couple of years, but got back out here. <laughs> That's what our friend Easton's feeling right now. Yeah, just a little bit. He, he's originally from Utah. He doesn't. He doesn't know that he misses the winners. <laughs> yeah. Well, well let, me, let me put it to you this way. If if I didn't work for the people that I work for, I would have already been in South South Carolina or Georgia. Gotcha. All right. Well, hey, there's a plus. Yeah. Easton can show you around. Yeah. It's kind yeah, of honest. where he was at. Honestly, you know. <laughs> yeah. Come out whenever. There's a racetrack out here somewhere. Yeah. There's a bunch of racetracks out there. That's what I saw. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of them. There are. I've had the opportunity to hit quite a few of them, but so that got you on that got you on the motorcycles from a young age. Yep. So through high school, you're riding a bike. Uh, what was your next? What was your next bike? Oh, I've had I had an RD350, had a GS500, uh, CX500 Turbo. Ooh, all right. Um, bunch of Yamahas, R1s, R6s, CBR, a handful of BMWs. Now, I, man, I. I've had a lot of everything except Kawasaki's. So. Hey, you fit right in. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> hey, luck nut. Shout out to you, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> now, now a couple of things are coming together there now. Yeah. Easton, has a, Easton has a habit of trying to make the Cowie guys angry. Uh, you know, <laughs> I got nothing against him. Uh, kind of. Maybe a few things, but whatever. So you rode a lot of bikes. What got you to go to a track your first time? So um, a couple of my buddies, when I moved back out to California, I had been dirt riding in Pennsylvania, back to dirt riding back there. When I came back out here, all my buddies were on street bikes. So I went and got a street bike. And uh, it was actually one of those Honda Magnas, mm -hmm. the newer style. Okay. And uh, I would go out on these group rides and just embarrass most of the guys on sport bikes. Yikes. And uh, a, a couple of my buddies were like, dude, get a, get a bike, get a bike, get a bike. So... I ended up buying a 900RR back when that was like the bike to have. Right. Started riding the canyons with those guys doing that. And one of my buddies who had the same bike drug me out to a, a fast track track day at Big Willow and uh, did my first track day there. And that's kind of where the bug hit. It's like, okay, I don't need to be doing this on the, on the streets anymore. I mean, I still did, but not as much as I enjoyed going to the track. I've found at least, I think the... Once you go to the track, it kind of takes the fun out of the. There's too many game. rules on the street. There's yeah. Too many rules. Yeah. Too many, too, too many, many unknowns. Too many rules. Too many. Maybe cops are there. You, you know, you never know what there might be. Yeah. So. Yeah. Big Willow. Have you? You're in California still. I'm assuming Long Beach. Uh, I don't know California that well. Just south of LA? Question mark. Uh, Long Beach is yeah. It's about 15, 20 miles, maybe south of downtown LA. Okay. So and a three-hour drive. Yeah, yeah, most days. Yeah, um, I actually live in an in an area called Temecula. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, it's SoCal's wine country. Mm -hmm. An hour north of San Diego, hour-ish southeast of LA. Okay, so you got a quite the quite the commute then. Yeah, yeah, and that's I do it on two wheels most of the time. I, I couldn't do that drive every day. 
Yeah. But I can't live up there either. I will not live in LA County. So I'm assuming that's on a BMW, but which one are you choosing to make a commute with? Uh, right now I'm riding a R18 bagger back and forth most of the time. A GS. I've had a couple of RTs, eh, just kind of whatever. I've got access to a lot of different things and and then my personal stuff. So, oh, I, so, I, need, to uh, so I need to take a quick branch because I'm going to get that question answered. Easton. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah, go ahead. R9T. Okay. Do they make an R9T racer? They used to. It was like a one oh, or two model year deal. <sighs> Are those hard to get your hands on? Fairly. They're out there. They're just a little, little tougher to find. Okay. That wasn't a question I had. So unless you have something else. <laughs> it's uh, a question I had. I want one of those. <laughs> so I was it actually arguing, doesn't have the good suspension on it. So the Roadster is probably the better bike. The art, the racer is probably the cooler looking. I, that's, I, I know not much about them other than I like the look. Ain't a, ain't a bad place to start. <laughs> at least like the look of the bike, right? Not a, nothing at all wrong with that. Yeah. Uh, my question for you on your, you know, you're saying you're commuting on a couple different options. Is that a perk of working at a dealership? Is that just your dealership or is that maybe something that we shouldn't know about? Question mark. So <laughs> a lot of BMW dealers have BMW, unlike a lot of other like I came from, I spent a long time in the Japanese dealerships and uh, BMW is one of the few that allows dealers to actually put a unit into demo service. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, um, and yeah, so, you know, I get to ride demos, I get to ride fleet bikes, you know, being a service manager, if we've got a bike that is maybe being a little finicky for a technician and, you know, doesn't always show symptoms of what the customer's problem or concern is. Um, you know, I'll ride a customer bike back and forth, new models. Well, you know, I need to be able to, to know what I'm talking about when I'm helping somebody with one. So, you know, I'll ride it and get familiar with it. Okay. Yeah. hundred percent. I mean, I, that makes sense. You know, one, if you're riding it around and someone sees it and they're like, Hey, I like that. It's very easy to, well, turns out I sell these. And then two, you know, I love that comment of actually getting to know it. The amount of times you go to a dealer and the dudes are just like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Actually, the book says, the book says, uh, yeah, here, here, you can just read this. And you're like, <laughs> I, I want to know, man, you, you should I buy this bike or not. So right, that's yeah. nice, nice to hear the opposite from someone that's actually in the business. So that's good. Yeah. Uh, BMW is, is one of the brands that actually encourage dealership employees to, to use and, and get to know the product and yeah. customers can can typically weed out the people that have no idea what they're talking about. And at least in the, in the BMW world, in the Japanese world, you know, everybody's got an opinion, right. you know, yeah. it's, it's hard to validate every opinion, but everybody's got one. Yeah. Yeah. That's fair. I also feel like BMW is a little easier because less likely to find a BMW mixed with everything else. Whereas I don't know how dealers work, but I've definitely seen some dealers where you've got Honda, Yamaha, Suzuki, just, all in one, all in one shot, different rooms, right? They got their own separate rooms, but they're all in one shot. So yeah. And that most of my career in the motorcycle business has been at those multi lines, um, Mm -hmm. where we've had, you know, all of the, you know, all four big Japanese Polaris, Can-Am, that kind of stuff. And, you know, it was nice because you always had something that was a commodity 
and you know most young guys can't always qualify for exactly what they want but if you've got four options sooner or later somebody's going to help them out and yeah, right. They end up with the Jixer, see, Easton? Yeah, oh, yeah whoa, exactly. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Or a Cowie. <laughs> yeah, Cowie, okay, sure. Yeah. I think there's a way higher class than that. Come on. Come on. Uh, I was just going to say, in my experience, to go back a little bit to what you said about knowing what you're talking about at a dealership and that being refreshing, uh, I think it's not true for everybody. You know, some people buy a whatever car or whatever bike because it's just to get from A to B, mm-hmm. but it, it's probably more likely in the motorcycling world that people are buying it because they're somewhat passionate about it. And therefore you have fanboys of whatever brand, you know, right? they come in, they, I want to go to what dealership, whatever. And uh, I appreciate the guy selling it to me, knowing at least what I know. It's always, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's always offensive when you go in and start telling them models and they like, we make that, you know, <laughs> uh, that's when they call Jeff over there. Like, Hey Jeff, come. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, well, Hey, speaking of that though, also kind of just on the dealer uh, subject, I think we can hang out here for maybe a little bit. We, as, as a podcast, I think are centered around going to the racetrack and racing. I've, I've always kind of been curious cause I've walked into cycle gears and, motorcycle dealers and just other random shops. And it's very rare that any of those people can give you any information on going to a racetrack, even at all for for me, in my experience. So I guess biggest question one, you know, what are your opinions and thoughts on that? And then two is long beach any different than that? I mean, obviously you're there, so that's got to help a little bit, but so there's a, a couple of answers to that question, a couple parts to the answer to that question. Okay. Most dealership principles do not see the value in backing employees, customers in going to the racetrack. You know, they'll, they'll support them, but not like, not anything that will really amount to much other than, right. you know, maybe a discount on parts and, and you know, throw them an easy up or something. That's the more common thing. And, and you know, a lot of the, a lot of the people that work at dealerships might not be financially in a position to do a lot of track days and, and get into club racing. Right. Um, so without the help from a dealer kind of, you know, kind of ties their hands a little bit. And, and that's actually true across the board of all the brands, the owners at long beach who I work for David and Charles actually came to me right before COVID hit. And Hey, look, you know, we, we do a lot of police bike business. We do a lot of the GSs because we're, you know, we're involved with, with both of those communities. Mm-hmm. We don't really have anybody on the on the RRs in this new bike. You know, it's 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 going to be a good seller. We just need to we need to be in that space, right? And we know that you're a track day guy, and we'd like, you know, if if we give you a bike to to use and kind of help you out a little bit, would you get out there and and do some of this stuff and, and represent us? So I, I worked for an owner that helped me out quite a bit, but never like these guys back when. I was at a multi-line Japanese shop between Yamaha and the, the owner that I worked for at that time. They gave me a little bit of help, but it was still a lot of money out of my pocket where with Long Beach, they're, they're footing most of the bill. I, you know, I still have my own expenses in it, but you know, I, I'm out there because they want, wanted me to be and, and they're, they're footing most of the bill. Sweet. And, uh, you know, being out there has turned into what they wanted it to, you know, they wanted, they wanted people to, to realize, Hey, you know, Long Beach sells 
double R's as well as they do GS's and police bikes and all these other things. And it, it, it's just worked out really well. I, Cole, I don't know if you met him when he was out there with us, um, but Steve Weir, the race engineer from BMW. Mm-hmm. I've seen him out there. I didn't get a chance to talk to him. Yeah, he and I have become very good friends. And, you know, he he's actually, hey, man, I can't take care of these guys. Can you help me out with these guys? And, you know, if, if it's a, a local dealer or a local guy close by the dealership or, or even guys that may be a little bit further away and he knows that you know, I'll be able to take care of them and, and get them what they need, he's actually having me work with guys too. So it's, it's, it's been pretty cool. The last four years have been like a, a really, really cool time. And, and I've seen a lot of growth for BMW mm-hmm. in the sport bike world, you know, the track days and, and then now racing, we've got, you know, when I first went out there, I was the very first new BMW on the grids that I know of at CBMA There were a handful mm-hmm. of the older bikes and then they kind of went away. And now it's, you know, we've got, six or seven of us now on the new bikes. So. That's sweet. No, that's super, that's super good to hear. I kind of, you know, I wonder, is that, do you think that's a BMW thing? Do you think that's just the, the owners down there specifically or are smart enough to do that? Or I, you know, I think it's mostly on David and Charles, um, the, the owners of long beach. They, they recognized, Hey, you know, we, we, we dedicate a lot of time, manpower and resources to these other aspects of our business. This is the one that we're, we're lacking on. So, Hey, let's, let's apply some effort there. And, you know, it's paid off. We've been, you know, I, I've been with them since 2019. Uh, I think out of the last 20 years that they've been in business, I think like twice, maybe they were not the number one dealer in the country. Okay. Hmm. Wow. That's pretty so, good. <laughs> pretty yeah. Good. They, uh, they're really great guys and they're, they're really sharp. They get the business, they get people, which is again, one of the biggest reasons why I'm, I'm riding 80 miles each way to work Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. in California, in yeah. California. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good to hear. I mean, you, you kind of just explained that, but you do think that that has definitely had a, let's, let's talk a little bit less on what it's done for the dealership. Anyone listening that owns a dealership, there's your, you know, there's your key right there. Maybe go to right. a racetrack here or there, but, uh, on the other side of things, that dealership being so helpful, do you think that's helped out? the motorcycle racing community down in California at all? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I think because of the investment that they've made in me and me being there, Mm -hmm. um, has opened a lot of eyes to BMWs, you know, guys that may not have thought about BMW in the past. Right. Now they're riding BMWs. Okay. Uh, Got one guy on our apex team that, um, that, you know, he was on a Yamaha when I met him, then he went to a, an Aprilia. Now he's got a BMW. He just went, did the best lap he's ever done on a Chuck Walla on a BMW. Cole, I think you saw him, how, how happy he was about that last round. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was giddy. Yeah. I mean, he fell to his knees in tears. He was so happy. (laughs) So. Yeah. And and to, to go back to what you said earlier, not to keep going back, but the, the support from BMW being that you or being that Steve, I mean, I'm just, I just getting one little glimpse of CVMA, right? I was staying at the aisle I was at, but you know, I didn't notice any engineers from Honda walking around talking to any of their people or any of the other brands. All of those over MotoGP right now. So yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. They're all busy. (laughs) No. And, and you know, that's a really good point too. As long as I've been in this industry, 
BMW is the only manufacturer that I've ever worked with that had somebody like Steve at events like CVMA and and the CRA stuff and, and on uh, the lower level, right at the club level. And you know he he's at every Moto America round with all the BMW teams as well. You know he was a a big part of the Titlers team, and you know I, I don't want to give him all the credit, but Steve was definitely an integral part of that team and their success. Corey, PJ. You know, those guys, they all learned whether whether their crew chiefs want to admit it or not. Steve had some input that helped helped move that team along a little bit. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, what this new BMW team and, and I guess it's going to be Cam and J.D. Beach on the Titlers bikes this year. See how they do. I don't know how much Steve's going to be involved with that new team out of Florida. What is it, top, top pro or something? Yeah, top pro with Sean Dillon Kelly. Yeah, yeah, SDK and and I forget who his teammate's going to be, but don't know who their race engineer is. But uh, you know, I'm sure uh, Steve will have his fingers in in their program a little here and there too. Well, I like to. We're not trying to make it. I, I'm chuckling because Easton accuses me sometimes of trying to make this the BMW show. But <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, you brought a, a BMW dealership guy on <laughs> this week, so I don't know how it. So I don't know how it's supposed just, to be anything else. Just so that you know, if I didn't work for BMW, I would be at a Yamaha shop. Okay, interesting. So I was gonna. I'm, have... I'm a Yamaha guy at heart, um, okay. but BMW. I, I'm definitely a BMW guy now. I've drank the German Kool Aid. Ah, uh, yes, the Kool Aid. <laughs> there is. There are two among us tonight that have done that. I myself um, have not ridden the new one on the track yet, but I actually I, I took his 22 out. Uh, a couple different times, and personally, I, I had a couple small issues with it. Uh, very, very like details. Here it goes. Details. Now we started. So let's hear it. Well, yeah, shut, okay. Shut him down, yeah, Jeff. Sure. sure. Why not? My issues with the bike, and I, I had to remind myself I was riding a, a twenty twenty two BMW S one thousand double R in twenty two for the record in twenty twenty two. Yep, with exhaust and a tune, and on you know a couple things done to it. And I was like, what? What are you freaking out about here? Just enjoy the bike. Uh, but, uh, they were very minute, but they definitely gave me kind of a, almost disconnect from the bike. I've never been a fan of electronic throttles and out of the ones that I've ridden, BMW has done the worst with it, in my opinion. And then on top of that, the, all of the mechanics, i.e. the clutch and the brake and the gear shifter felt almost, I, I literally got off his bike. I parked it and I went and looked at the gear shifter to make sure it was actually still connected to the transmission because I felt like I was only shifting against a pressure pad rather than actually shifting gears, which I understand it's got the quick shifter on it. So it's going to have that, that feeling to it a little bit, but I didn't have the mechanical feel. It just didn't feel. He thinks it's too good. I don't know. Sounds that way. Okay. So any idea what mode it was in when you were riding it? Um, I don't know. Not sure. Because the modes play a big part of how the throttle acts. Yeah, as far as suspension and all of that, I think it was in. They, I think I it was in dynamic yeah, when dynamic he left. Who knows what he did after he left the house, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just wrote it. All right, and I just wrote it. Passed a cop. I'll have you know, in a school zone. That was a good time. <laughs> Usually is, but yeah, I don't know. I like I said, I had to remind myself what what I was doing, and I was sitting there like trying to judge this bike. I was like, those are very minute and very I could easily get over them. Very, very easily. Not actual like issues, but I've got a 2019 Aprilia in the garage, and I was expecting a lot of those same feelings, and I don't have them. 
I felt almost disconnected from the BMW because it felt like I was putting input, the computer was getting the input, and then the computer was riding the bike rather than me, basically. Which is why I asked what mode you were in because it sounded like it was one of the lower modes. Yeah, which w- which would make sense, and I'll yeah. I'll take that. Like I said, I haven't I haven't taken one out on the track yet or anything like that, so I don't have a ton of room to work on. Those are just kind of my initial thoughts on on that. Yeah, and, and the Aprilias are very visceral. Um, mm-hmm. They uh, they they definitely they have that old school hot rod kind of feel, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I'd agree um, with that. You know, uh, kind of more of a raw, edgier feel to them. You know, kind of the Yamahas the same way. I think the Suzukis are the same way. I think Hondas and Cowies are probably a little bit more numb. Okay. Um, Interesting. But uh, yeah, no, I yeah, I, I can I can see exactly where you're coming from. My guess is though, it was probably not in one of the race modes with the settings adjusted. Yeah, no, it definitely wasn't. We it didn't def- adjust it definitely wasn't in a race or, pro mode. Yeah, yeah. So, but and interesting to hear that the, you know, at least the feelings are somewhat justified. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I. Back to you, kind of already answered that with uh, your Yamaha comment, but you've you've been riding since you're five years old. We won't get mm-hmm. into how old anyone is tonight, but there's a lot of bikes between then and now. Um, mm-hmm. Is there one specific bike that either you miss or at least was just like you know, if I had to tell anyone this is the bike to go get, is there one that you would say along the way? I've said this repeatedly: the the bike that I enjoyed the most was my 0708 R ones. You know, I, I had an 07 that was done up. I had a buddy that was, uh, he was the last few years of WSMC, was the track champ. Chuck Graves helped him out quite a bit. A lot of the, the chassis numbers from his bike went into my bike and a few okay. things. The, the bikes were just so easy to ride. It was so, it was just a, a really good all-around bike. And then I got rid of my 07 because everybody was like, oh, yeah, you got to have a cross-plane, cross-plane. I had an 09 for like two weeks got rid of it and went and found a, a leftover 08. It was just, I, I hated that first gen cross plane. Interesting. Uh, then, I, okay. then I had a 15 and it was like, Oh, okay. This is, this is a cross plane. This is what this bike should have been all along. So, Interesting. Do you know what the, is there anything that stands out? Cause that's some, I'm not super well versed with Yamaha. I knew they went from flat plane to cross plane. And I knew I actually recently learned, I thought it was with that newer body style. I recently learned that it was back in 2009. So, yeah, yeah the 09 um, to 14 was the frame. I, I what I didn't like about it was the frame was really soft and had a lot of flex to it, and it, it kind of uh, unless you did a lot of modifications to it, at least even as a track day bike, it it put too much out on the front of the bike. It wasn't very well balanced. Okay, um, where like the 07 08 was a really good balance, really neutral bike. And then they went back to that. They changed the motor a little bit for the 15s and changed the chassis a lot. And that's when the 15 was a really good bike too. The 15 and up, the chassis yeah. are all real similar. Okay. Just the electronics on them have improved since 15. Yeah, that's, that feels like a kind of recurring theme yeah. between a lot of bikes. Is yeah. we found we found something that works, and we're just updating electronics until we figure out where we want to go. So, yeah. but all right, well that's a good. Good explanation. So, if you're going to buy non-new body style, in your opinion, anyway, stay stay away from the crossplane. No, no, no. The crossplane is is 09 and up. Even the new bikes are a crossplane. I would right. just. I don't like the 09 to to 14s. That's yeah. as a street bike. It's probably okay as a track bike. No. Fair enough. But yeah, that's just kind of kind of crazy. 
what is the one they came out with? Now we're on Yamaha. What's the one they came out with that had less, a higher or a lower red line than all the other ones that you could get for a cheaper price? Oh, the R1S. Yes. I didn't even know yeah. that was a thing. Yeah. What? Slow. Yeah, it was like 15, 16, 16, 17, something like that. Yeah. You're yeah, saying a lower, uh, lower red line? Yeah, so it had a heavier, use... uh, heavier crank and rods in it. Mm, okay. It was like the rods and crank out of the, the, the first gen versus the updated bike. Okay, so a, not just a simple tune away from being. So I was like, that sounds no, like it, a... yeah, it was mechanically quite a bit different. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yes, not all R ones are created equal. Is what I'm saying. Right. Stay away from that one. So you... S stands for slow. Yes. Yep. And M <laughs> stands for motorcycle. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> we'll uh, go with it. Okay, let's get back to the let's get back to the racing. So you showed up to a track oh, okay, day okay. with a 900 RR. Yeah. So did a couple of track days on that. And that back then it was, uh, man, I think it was only one track day provider. It was fast track riders. And, uh, I did a, a few weekends there and I got to be, I got to meet the local Yamaha rep who actually lived here in, in Temecula and him and I got to be pretty good friends. And he actually got me on a R1 in 98, kind of brought me into the Yamaha fold at that time. From there, I did a couple of track days on that R1 on Fast Track Fridays, we called them. Uh, it was the Friday practice ahead of the WSMC race weekends, kind of like Apex does with CVMA. Mm-hmm. And uh, after about the third track day, I think it was, on that R1, uh, the guy that owned Fast Track at that time, Tom Sarah, and and my buddy Rocky Aiello, who at that time worked for Yamaha, came to me at the end of a Friday and were like, hey, uh, here's your lap times for the day. Wow. Okay, cool. So yeah, we went ahead and signed you up to race this weekend. You're doing the novice, the new racer school and and your first novice race this weekend. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't have a race bike. I got to be at work tomorrow. You know, I, I rattled off the whole list and, you know, Rocky was like, I already talked to your boss. You're, you're good to go for tomorrow. We took hey, care you of your go. new racer school. Your R1's getting wired up and everything tonight. You know, you're, trust us, you're doing this. So, there's, uh, there's some good friends right there. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they, they kind of twisted my arm, got me going. I think I started, I did the new racer school the following day, and I did my first novice race that Sunday. It was like the last race of the day. WSMC was kind of smart about the novice races. They kept it towards the end of the day so that, you know, the the crashes didn't hold up the the, the big show. And uh, I started 25th and finished 5th, my first novice race oh, wow. at WSMC. And that was like May of 99, I think it was, okay. 98, 99, something like that. So you started, you started 25th. Do you remember how big the grid was total? Uh, probably 25 or 30 people. I was towards the back since I post entered and and just did the school and everything. So back then WSMC did it by when your entry hit, it wasn't like points or, or qualifying or anything. It was just when you entered. So I I would have been towards the back of the field. So 25 to 30 people somewhere in there. Okay. That'll come into play later. Um, some questions I want to ask you. Yeah. Okay. So, okay. so yeah. And they figured did, they made they made a good investment at that point. Yeah. Yeah. I did three novice races, and and then the race director at that time called me into the office at the end of the third weekend, kind of blindsided me a little bit. I I thought I did something wrong, was in trouble. He grabbed my license from me, tore it up, handed me a probational expert license, and three rounds <laughs> as a as a novice, and then I got thrown to the wolves and. 
<laughs> oh yeah, I decided to go from an R1 to an R6. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, three rounds on a basically a bone stock R1. Got enough points to get bumped out of novice and and then went right into expert on an R6. You know, all the the guys trying to make the AMA grids and you know make a name for themselves on a 600. I'm out there gridding up against going. Yeah, what am I doing here? <laughs> I got a wife and kids and got to be at work Monday morning. Yeah. Well, how was that? How was that swap going from a, a 1,000 and novice to a not only bumping up to expert but also down to a 600? What you know? What is that? Before Before you answer that, Jeff, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to say, I, I mean this with nothing but love, but you are a mountain of a man. You, I was you a little a, smaller back then. Not a whole yeah. lot, but a little bit. Well, I, I don't mean like weight or anything. You are a big guy. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that part couldn't have been smaller probably back then. No, I had a lot. I had a lot working against me on that 600. Mm-hmm. The guys that were kind of coaching me and helping me along were like, look, if you can get quick on a 600, when you get back on a bigger bike, it's just going to make it that much easier. And they weren't wrong. You know, I, I learned racecraft riding a smaller bike. It teaches you a lot of discipline and and to learn the right way to ride when you don't have that right wrist to rely on to make up for your mistakes. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. You can't just can't just grip it, rip it, and get it over with in the straight, and then kind of meander through the wrist. Yeah, yeah. Well, you can, but you're only going to get lucky so many times doing it that way. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, even on a six, you know, I've had a couple of times where, you know, I got a little too throttle happy on a on a six hundred, and I'm I'm going back to like the first gen R sixes. You know, they they weren't they weren't powerhouses, but I had a a guy that I was working with back then that found every ounce of power he could get out of them to kind of offset my size disadvantage. WSMC, I was never like a top five guy in in the 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 expert classes there were there were just too many guys back there back then that were you know they were top five in ama grids and uh you know me being just you know a guy working on a shoestring budget being you know 40 50 pounds heavier than they are on you know a a, a shop built bike it wasn't you know i wasn't going to compete against those guys but i did uh we had a ccs thing here in the area for a couple of years uh ccs southwest which was you know they're still back east they're pretty big the race of champions down at daytona every year and you know they got some some club level stuff on the east coast they're pretty much gone out here but i did really well for a couple of years with those guys and then they kind of they kind of went away and i kind of walked away from the 600s went back up to a bigger bike and just kind of messed around here and there so how many racers would they pull out do you remember at wsmc back in the back in the glory days pull out like as far as like how many registered up. racers would they get out there oh um it it was a lot like cvma there were i mean 25 30 35 bikes on a grid for every class wow you know there were some like they called them dinosaur classes it was like like old bikes and singles and stuff like that they, they might have like a eight ten bike grid but like the the 600 750 and 1000 stuff was all 25 30 35 bikes it was it, the, the fields were pretty deep and it, not only were the fields deep again there was talent out there right yeah. um you know steve rapp anthony gobert tommy hayden um you know some some older fast guys back then like tony myring my buddy carl uh jeremy toy those guys you know they were formula usa ama guys you know 
consistently doing very well at the pro level. And then, you know, they were, they were the guys at WSMC back in the day. So is WSMC still running or? No, no, I think I want to say the last year with them was like 20, 2009, 2010, something like that. Okay. Um, the owner of the track kind of chased everybody off with the way he thought the the race club should be run. Hmm. Interesting. So, okay. well, that's that's sad to hear, but all right. Yeah, it happens. Yeah. So, how do you think? I mean, because as me, an old guy, but new to the sport, Easton is a young guy that doesn't remember anything because, you know, he hasn't made the memories yet. He hasn't made yeah. the memories yet. But how do you think WSMC and its glory day compares to CVMA now? I think CVMA is the modern day WSMC, which is why after spending one weekend uh, around these guys four years ago is when I decided I need to come back. I need to play. And uh, it's just WSMC was always, it was a big family. It wasn't about, hey, how can I get one up on you? Although on the track, it was about that. But in the pits, it was, hey, man, your bike's broke. What do you need so that you can make this next race so that I could beat you on the track instead of in the pits? Right. And that's exactly what CVMA is. It's it's Everybody comes together to make sure that you get everything you can out of every weekend. You said there was a lot of top talent at WSMC. Mm-hmm. And obviously, there's a lot of top talent going out to CVMA. Yeah. But in CVMA, we always hear because it's a winter season, so it's a way to keep fresh. It's not interfering with Moto America. How yeah. are the AMA guys hitting that up back in the day, WSMC? Was it in between weekends? Was it? I think WSMC season was, was real similar to Chuck Walla. I think May was uh, – I'm trying to remember how the schedule worked for, for WSMC. No, you know what? No, I think it just – it, when they weren't racing the the nationals, they were, you know, any of the local guys were coming out collecting checks from Willow. Hmm. So I think, no, we, I think the only month we had off at WSMC was December, maybe January, you know, so there were a few months that the pros didn't have any AMA rounds to worry about, but then the weekends always kind of worked around the, the national schedule. So you mentioned it. So that brings up a, another question I was going to ask you is, so CVMA is paying. I mean, there's classes that are paying purses mm-hmm. out there. That is not something I have at USBA, for example. How does what CVMA is doing now compare to the money that was being paid in the WSMC days? So Willow was never, not until they started running the 200, the Toyota 200, it was never a big money thing. The F1 race, I think, maybe paid 750 100 bucks for a win. In, in, in the high times, maybe the 200 was big money because they had a lot of sponsors for it. And it was like once a year, kind of like the mm-hmm. Daytona 200. Right. It was the Toyota 200 at Willow. And that was only the last few years, like 07 on, I think they did it. 06 on, something like that. You weren't doing it for the money back then. You were doing it because you, you enjoyed doing it. Between the contingency, you know, Honda, Suzuki, Cowie, whoever, whatever bike you were riding, if they paid anything, you know, you might make 25, 50 bucks from Dunlop and Motul and, you know, whoever else. And I think a, a race win for Willow was 200 bucks or something. You might was, make three, 400 bucks off of a race. 
Yeah. Yeah. Before inflation, that's like that's like thousands and thousands of dollars now. Yeah. 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 That's true. Yeah. A a set of tires back then was three hundred bucks, I think. So Mm -hmm. you didn't cover a set of tires if you want to race at Willow. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So and you know, to be fair, the only races at Chuckwalla are the the shootouts and and those are the money the money races. Now, you know, Tony from Rider Gears, Open Super Sport, uh, Richard from Apex Assassins is is uh, Formula Open. Corey's brought some sponsors on for for different classes, Dell's Flooring and, and Hudson Valley Motorcycles. Those guys are doing some stuff. And so, Yellow you know, Dog IT, I got to shout him out because I didn't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a new one last month. Huh? Sorry. Was he a new new addition last month? Yeah, he was new for round three. And okay. It, it, if he's happening to listen, I need his help so he can reach yeah, out. Yeah, and yeah. I'm a, I'm a yeah, customer. I didn't mean to cut anybody out there. I just, you know. I, I understand. <laughs> I, I only brought him up because I was kind of keeping an eye open for him. I wanted to talk to him, never got the chance. Right, right. I think, you know, as a as a young guy that it is uh, personally at least invested in the sport, maybe a little more than personally, but uh, you've been around it for a while been you know from from dirt to the road to racing and then maybe out of it for a little bit and then came back and worked at multiple dealers in your opinion are we on an upswing are we on a down are we about the same as we've always been no i think we're definitely on an upswing okay you know not not to throw politics into this but if if our economy can stay healthy enough to keep everybody able to continue. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to continue this trend for quite some time, you know, between Aprilia and Kawasaki and, and some other manufacturers kind of really blowing open some segments. I think other manufacturers are going to have to take notice and, and follow suit. Right. Um, and, and to me, that is the biggest way to grow a sport is create affordable grassroots classes and, and, and need like Aprilia right. with the 660, Cowie with the 400s. Mm-hmm. Um, that kind of thing. I think, you know, the, the, when I first started, those were some of the biggest grids where the, the formula twins and, and the lightweight twins and, you know, the guys on the R sevens and the the six sixties, and then all the people on the R threes and the Ninja four hundreds and, and that kind of thing. Those are, you know, those, those classes are what feeds our sport and right. what, what gets people into, and then wanting to, to progress up through the ranks are those classes. And, and I think that, the manufacturers are crazy if they're not paying attention and and don't know this. Um, Fair enough. So so that being said, though, you know where this might still be opinion, but where's BMW? What? Well, you know, they're what's they're going asleep on over at there? the wheel right now. I'll I'll, I'll be brunt about it. I uh, the president of BMW was out at uh, Femwalla a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and I I said the same thing to her. I I showed her all of these people on little bikes. She was there for Femwalla and then stuck around for. SoCal track days and, and okay, Trudy, here it is. Where are we going? She told me to be patient. And that was two years ago, three years right, well, ago. Hey, Cole, there you go. Yeah. The S 700 RR might be on the way. Who knows? I really thought we were going to have a, uh, like an S 400 RR is, is where I thought she was going with it, but we'll see. I don't know. All right. Well, well you know, that's more of them coming. I'll, I'll buy it from you. you <laughs> save a crate. Don't yeah. even put it on the showroom. Yeah. <laughs> now, apparently in Europe, um, there there's a twins class, like a spec class in Europe, um, where they're running. BMW makes a model called an F900R, 
mm-hmm. which is a twin, but it's a, a larger twin, obviously. And there's some kind of a spec class in Europe on that, which I haven't seen or heard anything other than BMW announcing that it existed. I'd like to see some stuff on that. That might be kind of an eye opener for the U.S. here and the U.S. market kind of beating their fists on the desk to Germany going, hey, we need some product here. Yeah. Well, you know, no no offense to the Germans, but I, I may or may not, you know, work with a German company in my normal life as well. And two years is nothing, man. I mean, they're just starting. It, yeah. It, yeah. It's coming. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. Well, so that, I mean, do you think that that, you know, we, we've been talking here about how BMW is getting more and more on the grid, at least where you're at. And, you know, maybe that's all thanks to you and Steve, like you mentioned, and, and Long Beach in general, uh, Long Beach BMW. But um, on the on the opposite side of that, do you think BMW does take a hit because of their lack of sport bike inventory? Or are there not really that many people buying sport bikes anyway? Uh, well, there's, there's not a, a surplus of, of S 1000s right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I probably, if, if I could find four or five bikes, I could probably get four or five more guys out there with us right now. We just, we haven't had any inventory to be able to get out there. So I don't know that it's an inventory thing. Well, I, they definitely don't have the inventory. If they did, I think the numbers would grow. I think that no matter what BMW does, I think if they put out a good product, people are going to buy the product. Just like Yamaha, just like Suzuki, just like Honda. Yeah, You know, Honda okay. disappeared from grids because they didn't have anything for so long. Right. You know, now with the, the, the pirate bike, the RRRRR 1000, there's, <laughs> yeah, there's a few guys that are, that are kind of dabbling and, and dipping their toe in that. But, you know, Honda just hasn't been relevant in, in years because yep. they didn't, they don't see a value in grassroots racing. Yeah. Which they is so, think. so, and that kind of, you know, after talking to you and having this discussion, it kind of brought up uh, Cole's over here trying to claim that. BMW is coming to MotoGP eventually. Who knows? Uh, obviously not this year. Hold, but... hold, hold on. You're, you're doing him an injustice. Have, have you heard my argument? I'll, I'll give you the bullet points. So Top Rack goes and rides a Yamaha MotoGP bike. He felt like he got dissed a little bit because they didn't spend the time he wanted. They basically said, here, go turn some laps. Yeah, we did it for you. Mm-hmm. BMW then backs up a truck full of money to him, possibly. Or, I mean, there's a... Why did Top Rack go to BMW? BMW paid him more money than he could turn down. He loves the idea of winning on a bike that's never won because that means more to the world than winning on a bike that's already proven itself. There's all these reasons, but what if? This is my imaginary land. Easton said at the opening that we don't lie to people. This is Cole's imaginary land. What if? Opinions here. Opinions. What if BMW came to him and said, hey, we know you have aspirations to ride MotoGP. We would like to ride. We would like to run MotoGP, but unless that bike's already being built today, it ain't happening for a long, long time. So let's get you out here on the world superbike. Let's prove to the world that we can make a fast bike, and we're going to start developing that bike now with you, and you can be our first rider on the MotoGP grid with it. That's Cole's dreamland because there is two spots that Dorna is refusing to let anybody take after Suzuki left. So either Suzuki's coming back or they know who's coming. Or somebody else is coming. And I can't see Kawasaki coming back. I I will say this. BMW is trying 
a lot of outside the box technologies right now. Okay. So, and the only place I see fitting to give it a real go is in MotoGP. Interesting. Interesting. So well, in my imaginary world, Cole's <laughs> imaginary world isn't too far off the, <laughs> the we could be completely 180 out, but yeah, but, no. But I, hey, we got two opinions matching up yeah, here, so. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe we're onto something. It could happen. Well, I, I was just going to ask, you know, you mentioned Honda's has been in the game. They don't seem to take the same, the weight in grassroots racing as, as we're, uh, you're coining it here today. And I'm sure it's not, not necessarily your term, but you know, it kind of sounds like your big companies over here that are in MotoGP don't care about the, the little boys down here, but BMW who's not in MotoGP is the one getting out there and, and helping the club racers and being involved in the, in the smaller communities. And I'm kind of curious, and honestly, you know, we could answer this just by Googling numbers, I guess. Obviously, Honda is a bigger company because of everything else that they make. But as far as the motorcycle world, which which is better? Again, opinions here, but is it better for Honda to be so deep in MotoGP and not care about the young guys? Or will we actually see more from a company like BMW who's out helping out the club racers? I think they all contribute to the the big picture. I'm going to divulge a little industry info here. Okay. Um, I didn't come up with the phrase. I didn't come up with the name, but a lot of industry folks that I'm friends with have always referred to Honda as the evil red empire. Mm -hmm. okay. um, yeah. mm -hmm. They, they were very resistant to change and, and you know, it was their way or no way. And, you know, HRC, if, if it didn't fit within HRC's guidelines, it wasn't even an option. That is, to me, why the CBR line kind of died away. Companies like Yamaha, Suzuki, Kawasaki, always trying different things. You know, hey, let, let, let's see if we can make a, a GOAT World Superbike or AMA 600s or, or whatever class. Um, you know, let's try and, and, and help these guys to an extent. BMW in my 20 some years in the motorcycle industry has been the first company that has had an employee like Steve Weir at almost every event and available to almost every BMW owner in the country where nobody else has. You right. have to know somebody who knows somebody to get in with, you know, Chuck Graves when he was running the Omaha program or Richard Stamboli when he was attack Kawasaki or Muzzy, Rob Muzzy back in the day when, when he was Cowie and uh, Yoshimura Suzuki, you know, it was always the, the, the core group and, and their, their friends, mm -hmm. but BMW has taken the approach where it has to be everybody on our motorcycles has to have the same access to Steve and, and data and, and knowledge and, and, and help whether you're Corey Alexander or Jeff Whitmer, you have to have the, the guidance and, and the, and the help with our product that, okay. that is going to help move you to the next level. I just, I, I haven't seen that out of any other company. Honda is probably the, the worst at it. And I'm not, I'm not bad mouthing Honda. I have a lot of good friends at Honda, American Honda. Um, but Honda is probably the worst at it. BMW being the best and you got everybody else everywhere in between. I can't speak for Ducati. I've never worked with Ducati at a Ducati dealership. 
I've been in Aprilia. I know some Aprilia people. There's a big spread there, and I think BMW is definitely at the at the tip of that spear. Okay. Because of here in the U.S., because right. of people like Steve and and some of the other folks around the country that make sure that you get what you need when you're on a Beamer. Yeah. Well, and that's I mean that's super good to hear. That's nice. I mean, obviously, you know, Cole, you went and spent one week down in California and here we are talking to Jeff on the podcast now. So, <laughs> uh, there's that at least. So thanks. Jeff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah. We're going to get you there too, Cole. We'll, we'll get you into the 49s just like we did Mike last round. I like it. I got to get this yeah, wing fixed and I'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I got yeah, to get this, this wing fixed there. to get there. <laughs> <laughs> you don't need that oh, wing yeah. fixed to get there. Yeah, that's true. I probably ought to break it a little bit more. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh man! All right, another another dealership question for you, because uh, sure. I'm you know I'm a younger guy. I got younger friends. None of them really. I got one friend right now that does actually want an S1000. That's his dream bike. Um, yeah. But no one's super current on sport bike news. You got to be in the niche to know. If a uh, if a young kid walked into your shop and had the means and and bought an s1000 how likely are you to ask him about hey have you have you gone to the track do you everybody that comes into our shop i i ask him my sales department always brings them to me hey jeff you know he's a jeff's our track guy he's the the s1000 guy what you know what are what are your intentions okay and uh oh i yeah i i offer every one of our customers uh, Friday with uh, Apex, sweet as a uh, part of you know buying the bike from us. Some you right. know I think one or two guys have taken me up on it, but yeah, no, I, I talk to every Double R customer that we have. Well, good to hear. Good to hear. I think uh, other dealerships in the country could definitely take take some notes from you. Not to badmouth anyone, but that's the type of stuff I like to hear at least. So that's good. I'm coming to get my next one from you. Hey, we're here Tomorrow. for you. Whatever you need, bud. I mean, it sounds like you don't have inventory right now, but <laughs> now twenty fours will be on the ground in a in about a week and a half. So, so what do you think a guy in my situation? So, I want another S one thousand, but a guy in my position, what's the benefit of an M? Ooh, um, knowing knowing up front, like this, is not just some guy with more money than brains that's going to go buy the M because it's the top of the line. My intent is to take it to the track. Should I buy the S or the M? Right now, I, I'd say the S. You're you're just fine. If BMW comes to comes to the table with an improved model next year, that that would change. But there's the frame used to be different on the between the S and the M in '23. It it got the M frame. Now it's internals in the engine, kind of like an R1S versus an R1 versus an R1M. It, it's kind of along the same lines. Probably not quite as drastic as an S to an M, but R1S to an R1M. You know, you got some aero stuff with the M you don't need. You've got some internals on the M that at our level. Will it help? Yes. Are you going to get 10 grand, 12 grand worth of enjoyment out of it? No, probably not. So the, not the M, I think if you got more money than good sense or you're going to go and, and grid up at Moto America, go for the M. Um, <laughs> you know, the rest of us, NS, with, uh, with the right tweaks on it, you're going to be more than happy. Well, I always, you know, our our friend Ken Hill said, he always says you have to be 
You have to be either a mechanic, a hot rodder. What? How does he say it? A racer or a builder. A racer or a builder. You can't be both. Yeah. This is an opinion he has all the time. For me, I'm trying really hard to be both because I think it's possible. I I want my bike. I really care what my bike looks like, right? And if I crash it, then I'm going to fix it. But I really care what it looks like. And I... And and just personally, if you take all the the guts out of it, I just don't like the M. I think the bodywork on the M is sexy. All right. I don't know that you know one of the Apex guys took a, a 22S and and made it look like a brand new M, and it cost him a lot of money to do that. I don't know if I would spend the money on on the aesthetics, but you know he chose that route. I'm not mad at him. I think that bike was gorgeous. Right. But. Uh, Yes, as far as mechanically, though, yeah. An S, you can get just as good on an S as you can on an M. Well, good to know. And, you know, that that whole, you can't be a racer and a builder. Uh, are you guys familiar with Chuck Graves? Do you know who he is? Yes. Okay. He, he was just as fast on a bike as he could make a bike. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think we we might have, we might have, said that wrong Ken, Ken's point was that if you if you build your own bikes and you care about how they look that yeah. will tear at your brain while you're yeah. riding oh yeah you got to focus on one or the other you can't do both no I, I I completely get that but Chuck is one of those guys that disproves that theory he, <laughs> he's true. an oddity though yeah <laughs> there's definitely definitely people out there yeah um, yeah yeah my, my only like I I have to say I think I agree with Ken Hill if you want to be you know top top notch yeah right. if you want to go go, go race and yeah, yeah and be the best then you absolutely can't care about the bike at all right. however on the opposite side which i don't think is what he was getting at anyway but i think it's definitely important to know the the mechanics of the bike and and understand you know a, a rider that can come back to a team or or come back to himself and change the way a bike reacts based off of what he's getting or change his input based off of what the bike is giving him is going to do better than a rider that's just like I don't know this bike's not working but I can't tell you how. Right. In in my yeah. opinion. So. Yeah. Um anyway, yeah. Enough on that. <laughs> but Well, in in the day of data, um data usually tells the story to these guys like Steve and Chuck and Richard Stamboli, you know, they can they can look at the data and go, "All right, well, you know, my bike's fine, but my rider's not." So, how do I get my rider fine and and have him ride my motorcycle. And th- mm-hmm. and that's the big difference between today and, and when I started is, you know, you got all these guys that, well, you know, uh, one of the guys from Chuck Walla, when he was just a Canyon rider, he's like, Oh, you know, how do you ride without traction control? It's easy. You just, here's your traction control and here's your ABS. You yeah, know, right. the, these kids, they don't know. And I don't mean that in a, in a bad way, calling them kids, but these young guys may not have learned how to ride the motorcycle as much as they've learned how to use the electronics. Exactly. You know, it's interesting. You, uh, you bring that up. We might actually have a video coming out on the channel here in about a week that, uh, just as a sneak peek for anyone listening, I don't know we get more less listeners on YouTube than we do watchers, but I, I did just film a video talking about exactly that. How I, in my personal opinion, I think a lot more people need to go buy used Japanese 600 sport bikes without electronics on them. Go, go ride them, go race them and then get whatever you want after that. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, 
that sums up like the whole video. So don't, you know, if you don't need to watch it, then don't, but <laughs> uh, just kind of my, my thoughts and feelings on that. So it's nice to hear that from, from somewhere else also, because I actually kind of wanted to possibly dive into that with you. Just maybe your feelings just a little bit deeper on that, you know, how the electronics, the aero, the, all of that. I mean, you get a new BMW, you get a whole whiz wheel on there now yeah. to adjust everything which is sweet for someone that kind of knows what they're doing, but does that actually hinder the beginning motorcyclists? I think it, that it does. I, uh, you know, just to kind of go back on my, my comment a few minutes ago where these young guys are learning how to ride the electron or how to work the electronics and not ride the motorcycle, where if you can ride an analog bike for a lack of a better term, ride an analog bike and learn how to ride it and, and manage the brakes and the traction yourself, it will make, I feel that it will make you a better rider and the rider aids is with ABS and TC and slide control. Now um, they're going to aid you, but they're not going to ride it for you. And, and I think that that's the biggest disappointment that I have is these guys aren't learning how to ride. They're learning how to use all the functions of the bike, which I don't think I'm alone in that. I think I've I've just heard. I think I want to say it was Casey Stoner just made yeah, a comment probably. publicly about, hey, dumb the bikes down and let these guys ride the motorcycle instead of the ro the motorcycle taking care of the rider. Mm -hmm. I, I think you would see a much bigger gap from one to ten instead of everybody being in one pack because the electronics are keeping them there. You're going to see who can ride a motorcycle and who can manage the electronics. And I think that's the downside of, of where we are right now with motorcycles is electronics are everything. And, and I think we need to get back to, to riding the, the motorcycle. I say if you can't double clutch a two-stroke going up a steep hill, then you got no business. <laughs> what are you doing in life? <laughs> right, right. If you can't uh, keep it on the pipe, you don't need to be riding it. Uh, well, you know, that's nice to hear, especially from, from someone that is at a dealer selling new bikes. Obviously, you got to sell new bikes to make money, but... Uh, I don't sell them. I fix them. That's right. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, hey, on fixing things, that was my next question for you. Um, Cole here's got a 2010. You still see those a lot, those early generation S1000s. How much support does BMW provide for, you know, as, as a younger guy with not as much money, maybe I, maybe I can't go get a 22 or a 21? But I, I think that BMW is the best. Do we still have that available at the dealers? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. If if I called, if you were at a racetrack, club racing a, a 2010 S1000RR, and and Steve Weir was running around, he's going to stop and, and ask you, hey, what do you need? How can I help? You know, how are you feeling? What's going on? He's going he's gonna to offer you the same amount of help that he offers Cole on a 22 or me on a 23. Without question, I don't. I don't think that's. I can still get all the parts. Alpha still has stuff for them. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that's an issue. I think as long as it's a BMW, you're going to be able to get help for it. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah, I mean, I kind of figured. Just want to clear that up. Make sure. Um, yeah. So not I, I may or may not have uh, watched the motorcycle scene from Mission Impossible yesterday. <laughs> And if you need parts, uh, they have at least 12 of those bikes somewhere in Hollywood. <laughs> so oddly enough, when I first started at Long Beach, they had a bike that was from, uh, was one of the movies, 
Um, it was like one of the zombie movies. I, I can't think. I'm not a big movie guy, so forgive me for this, but it was a S1000XR, and it was the Umbrella Corporation. What movie franchise oh. is that from? Is that The Walking Dead? It's kind of, yeah, like one of those zombie no. movie things. Uh, is it the Brad Pitt one? Uh, no. I don't World War Z? No. Let Easton Google it. Hang on. Yeah, we're bringing up Resident <laughs> Evil Final Chapter. There you go. Resident Evil. Oh, there you one. go. Yeah, you yeah. know what I you know what I googled for that what's movies that? with BMW S one thousand XR, and what's funny for for your knowledge that comes out of SoCalBMWMotorcycleClub.com. So yeah, they call it the it it's called the DAG Group. Okay, Southern California Area Dealer Area Group. Um, DAG. But it was uh that bike was at Long Beach BMW Motorcycles when I first started. Cool. I mean that makes I, sense, I guess. You know, being being right by LA, right by Hollywood, there. Yeah. Cool. That should have made a. Do you guys ever have a cardboard cutout of Tom Cruise? You know, with the flannel flapping in the wind. And his... Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! All right. You you, you got to be careful there because I just mentioned you're a mountain of a man, and yeah, I am not. <laughs> that Tom Cruise is like two inches taller than Easton. Yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? It makes me faster, or something like that. So. Yeah. Yeah. How tall are you, Easton? I am five six. Okay, all right. No. Yeah, right on the dot. I mean, I don't know. My wife will tell you there's no way, but I swear she changes her height every time she goes. I get measured. My height gets measured once a year, and it's always sixty six inches. So but. that's why we're we're trying to get Easton racing. Yeah, why not? He can yeah. fit behind the bubble. It's true. I do fit on a on a bike. Uh, <laughs> right now, racing is not quite in the uh, in the schedule for me. Due to my my schedule jumps around so crazy, but still doing track days and definitely planning on getting out there. We'll get there well, you, eventually. Cool. Probably so not on a BMW though. No offense. We can't all be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, we just got done talking about how electronics are are hindering, right? So I got to start. I got to start old. About? I don't use mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just turn them down. Yeah, just turn it all off the raw mode. Yeah. yeah. You know, on the on the opposite side of that, I did have a a friend that went out on an R one. And, uh, he was, he was doing okay. His lines were messy, but he was putting down some quick times for, for the lines that he had. And right. so the, the trainers came out and they're like, Hey, you know, you might be relying on your electronics a little bit much. So maybe slow down a little bit. And then, and he's like, Oh, they're all off. And they're like, what? And he's <laughs> like, yeah, I just have everything off. They're like, Oh, all right. Well, you're going to come do some follow laps then. And we're going to. I'm gonna clean those lines up because you're in trouble. So well, yeah, we'll clean this up and we'll 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 give you a contract at the end of the day, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm I mean, he saw your your sticker, I think you have on your door in your shop or something, Cole, and all balls racing, and he's like, I need one of those. And after watching him ride, I was like, You you might, yeah. So but, just a just a bearing company. Hey, man, you know they the the best names come from somewhere. Yeah. Right. That is true. Well, I think that's all I have. I don't know, Cole. You can keep well, talking I, for hours if you want. Yeah. Well, I I don't want to take too much more of your time, but I'm good. The wife's at work. Oh. <laughs> I'm enjoying my tea. I was going to say, yeah. Gra- let's grab another and <laughs> <laughs> here, here. Let me let me refill here. Well, I was well, going to do this outside, but the outside lighting isn't very good, so that I could have a cigar and my tea while we're. Uh, yes. chatting here but tea yeah. Time. yeah yeah four roses tea <laughs> uh-huh. <Yep. laughs> i like it 
you pour it in the bag first and then <laughs> so what do you think uh what what's your thoughts on the upcoming well hell we got supercross starting up this weekend you watch yeah um, i haven't been to a supercross in probably 15 years this is probably the first year i've even thought about grabbing some tickets and going yeah i i couldn't tell you who's who but i always enjoyed going to anaheim one being you know that it's right here in my backyard yeah i think uh <laughs> and and that's another funny thing too like those guys jeremy mcgrath and jeff emming mm-hmm. are, are the two guys that i've seen forefront of supercross and motocross hop on road race bikes and be like yeah maybe not <laughs> like jeremy did well emick did pretty well mike metzger that was a guy that really made a run at it don't know why he completely walked away but he was he was on a pretty good trajectory but yeah the motocross and uh road racing that that should have been a natural progression but i haven't seen it like completely come to fruition hmm. yeah it really it really hasn't i mean i don't think anybody would make the argument that riding a dirt bike doesn't help or probably vice versa i mean obviously a lot of road racers ride bikes in the off season i don't know how they remember not to stick their foot out the wrong way but yeah, I don't know. <laughs> My introduction to Ben and Eric Bostrom were here in Temecula at the local dealership. They had a a little ranch up in the hills above Temecula, and they came in one day. Um, Eric was riding for Kawasaki at the time. Ben was over in Europe on Ducati. They were on summer break, came into the shop. Ben needed a motocross bike. I was the only one in the entire dealership that knew who they were. Wow. Um, went over and talked to them, helped them. We had, I don't know, we probably just gotten in 30 crf 450s and ben went through every single one of them trying to figure out which one he wanted (laughs) finally after an hour and then eric finally told me hey pull your head out of your backside pick a bike and let's go ride Mm -hmm. he grabbed a bike they went out riding came back at the end of the day both of them their hands were all blistered up joking around bought a bunch more stuff back out and then Eric and I became really good friends. I, you know, Ben knows who I am, but Eric, if I called Eric right now, he'd be like, Jeff, what's going on, bro? You know, that kind of thing. Those those guys were like the craziest. We can do any kind of motorcycling racing there is and be competitive at it. And nobody else can flat track, motocross, road racing, you name it. They could do it. I don't, I, I can't think, well, maybe J.D. Beach is probably the only right. modern-day guy I can think of that's even close to those two. Well, I wonder, that almost ties back in, because I wonder how much the electronics on the road bikes have have right. affected that. Yeah, yeah. That, it kind, it kind of I never thought about it, but there's probably a huge correlation between the two. Yeah, well, I mean, it's it's been talked about for a while that, uh, not for a while, but, you know, America used to kind of actually have a place in MotoGP way back in the day in the, in the two stroke days at least and they didn't have um, a place they owned it yeah, yeah. right and the theory and was Kevin and Wayne and yeah yeah the theory was that that's all from from our flat track racing out here yeah. the, the riders out here were used to bikes that would just buck and go crazy all over the place so they could handle them on the track and now you know as things have kind of calmed down i wonder if that kind of has made it harder to switch over and at least be competitive or at the top of the game because there's so many electronics and aids to help the riders out on the road that it doesn't give you an advantage anymore to learn how to control a bike per se yeah i, I yeah i could see that thinking but 
I, I think if you could make the bike work without it, it would be that much better with it. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so, I agree with that. Yeah. Well, have you guys ever been to a flat track race and like stood inside of turn one and watched? I actually haven't. I've never. I, I have been to a flat track race, but in the nosebleeds, if you will. Yeah. 2009, 2010, I got a Yamaha trip to the MotoGP at Indy. I was working mm-hmm. at a Yamaha dealer at the time. And uh, they had an exhibition at the Indy Mile that weekend. Kenny Roberts, Kel Carruthers pulled out one of Kenny Roberts' TZ750 dirt trackers. Mm-hmm. And and Kenny went out and did some display laps on it. Dang. Ben cool. and Eric were there. Jorge Lorenzo, Valentino Rossi, we're inside of turn one. I'm standing shoulder to shoulder with all these guys. 70-year-old Kenny Roberts comes into turn one on that TZ750 dirt tracker, crossed up, rooster tail about 100 feet in the air behind him. (laughs) And I'll never forget Valentino looking at his handler, turning around and looking and goes, that's crazy. I'm never riding that motorcycle. And he was supposed to ride it that night. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That's awesome. Ben and Eric ended up riding it after all the other races were over. From what I heard, I didn't see it. We were gone by then. But I, I, from what I heard, Ben and Eric both rode the bike and did pretty well on it. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was, that was, that was an eye opener. Like, you know, being in the grandstands, you're like, oh yeah, cool. Yeah. In at, at the rail in turn one, watching these guys come in, crossed up, backing it in, no brakes going, oh wow, this, this is riding a motorcycle here. Yeah. Right. And then and yeah. then Rossi turning around going, Yeah, no. No, I'm cool. <laughs> uh, that is too much to lose. Too much to yeah, lose I mean, when it gets broken. I'll, I'll say I've never not had respect for it's it's different. I don't know that I would want to do it, but I've never not had respect for that flat track racing. That's like it, it's insane to, to it's insane to me to be in that much control of something that is so out of control, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 So that's it. like the the ice racing up in Alaska. The dudes that are out there doing basically flat track out on the ice. I'm like, you guys are nuts. Like that's it's insane. But more power to them. Ice racing. Can I have I told? Can I tell an ice racing story? Let's hear it. Sure. Yeah. So my old man used to ice race, and Jeff will remember, I think. But do you remember they used to have the when I was in high school, probably they had these t-shirts everybody wore called bear whiz bear. And it, it always had like a bear, almost like a totem statue of a bear. And it'd be peeing bear whiz bear was, yeah. I don't even know if it was a beer. I don't know what it was, but it was, it was one of those popular things when all the, all the kids had to have a bear whiz bear t-shirt or whatever around here. Anyway, I don't even know what they sold beer. Maybe apparently, I don't know, but yeah, I think it was beer, but my my dad signed up for some races here in just outside of Ogden on Willard Bay. They set up ice races and they were sponsored by Bear Whiz Bear. And he was like, I mean, I had to be like 10 years old, probably. And he went he went and bought him a CR 500. There you go. Because that's what he was going to do for the ice races. And Perfect. when we showed up, there wasn't even a class for that. And <laughs> and. To, to show my age a little bit, there was still three-wheelers because the three-wheeler guys were complaining that they were making them race with the four-wheeler guys because they didn't have enough of them show up for a full class or whatever. But anyway, cool cool memory of mine was going out there, doing these races. We didn't know what we were doing, so my dad bought all these screws, so we're putting screws in the knobs, you know, 
go out and race. And when we got there, we realized that they actually make ice racing screws. <laughs> you know, were they, were you putting wood screws in there or? No, they, I mean, we, the, the screws we were using to be fair were exactly the same length as okay, what they were right. selling, but they were just like a, a flat blade screwdriver head on them or whatever. Mm-hmm. And it had a ridge around it or whatever, but the ones they sold there had like four point spike and you put them on with a socket. Right. And they, they, none of them were like what you see nowadays. I mean, nowadays you see them, they got like one inch standoffs. I mean, they're huge. Yeah. Some of them, some of them ones you see them running, but anyway, we went out there and just, it has nothing to do with anything except it was a neat moment in my life, I guess, is we're out, we're out there racing. I, I remember they had to move the track for the second day because they ended up digging more ice out than they thought they were going to on the start finish line. They had moved it a couple times, but you know, he, he got destroyed. He was racing against, at first they had him in a class with like two people because there really wasn't a class for it. Then they moved him into the smaller class with all the guys that were actually on a circuit. And then it didn't go well for him. The CR 500 kind of hang. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Wasn't because it couldn't hang, you know, in a straight line and all that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) But I remember, you know, we were talking about Honda earlier, the evil empire and everything in Willard Bay, Utah. Okay, it's right by Ogden, this little town, right? That's north of Salt Lake. North of Salt Lake. The semi came pulling in on the second day. I mean, this is a fairly low budget ice racing event. And this this semi shows up, all Honda. Big rig, Honda front, you know, the trailer, everything. They pulled in, they open it up. It's like the dual tiered trailer, like they'd haul F1 cars in or whatever. And they start kicking out blood red. So I guess that's what year it had to be. Oh man, I'm I am getting old. It had to be like 87, 86, 87, because they started kicking out TRX 250R four wheelers, blood red, mm. and started screwing the tires. And my dad went up and was talking to the because it was all Honda guys. You know, they had Honda shirts, gear, everything. And apparently they it was the off season, they needed somewhere to test these things. And so they decided to come out there and see what this was all about <laughs> and it was the anyway but that's my story well was honda receptive to uh yeah they talked to us i have some i still have some pictures you know the ones on paper easton the... what yeah they're not the ones on your phone they're the ones on paper i can take a picture of one and send it to you what are you even talking about <laughs> how do you get one of those I thought you mean, like you mean like you get on you get online on your phone and you order it and then they send you like the canvas like where you no, go behind no, you there. No, no, no. These these are the ones you had to go down to a store and hope you didn't have any nudies in there when you, yeah. you handed it over. The because, photo hut. Yeah, yeah, the photo <laughs> hut. <laughs> uh, remember I when have you, turned I have turned film into Walmart before. Okay. <laughs> I don't know about the photo hut, but anyway. When they used to have like one hour photo and then you'd walk back out in your car and go, should I drive all the way home or should I just wait? Well, now you just sit on your phone. Go to McDonald's. Whataburger. (laughs) You know what was the worst is it sucked so bad because you'd wait. It was so exciting back then to see what your pictures, how they turned out. Yeah. Yeah. No previews. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. at least for me, every time, you know, you get your stack of 50 pictures back, you rip the envelope open and start going through them and it's missing the head. And this one's... You know, all of them were terrible. They have the well, rainbow over them on half of yeah, them. Yeah, why was he a thousand miles away? <laughs> Red eyes. <laughs> uh, 
And you got no do-overs. You couldn't just delete it and do it again. Yeah. yeah. The world is such a different place right now. We're, we're dating ourselves, go. Cole. Yeah. I know. Ele- electronics on motorcycles and cameras that take phones or phones damn, that take cameras, pictures. Damn whippersnappers. <laughs> I can we leave if you guys need to, you know, reminisce for a while. You know, talking about ABS, though, and all, all those electronics and things, I mean, we're starting to get into a world where it's illegal to sell a motorcycle without. Yeah, yeah, I think um, ABS, I think they all have to have ABS now. That's yeah, I think insane. as of a year ago or two years ago or not too long ago, it was. I'll, I'll tell you, I I had never felt ABS on a bike, and I, I took my Aprilia to a racetrack. and You're I, not riding hard enough. Well, my Jixxer doesn't have ABS, right? And I, I'm not racing. I know I'm not that fast, and so I'm not breaking anywhere near any level that many people do. But I'd never felt it. And then I went out on the racetrack and my first lap out there, I had my ABS turned, I think all the way up. It's it's three levels. That's it. And I was like, well, we'll just start with everything up and just kind of see, you know, first time riding electronics on a racetrack and I get to the end of the straight and I feel it and the whole bike's just, and I was like, what the, <laughs> what is going on? I barely pulled the freaking brakes on this thing. And it is unnerving because I've tested it in cars here and there, you know, on a rainy day, I'll be like, what does this ABS actually feel like? And you just slam it just to kind of see. But on a bike, it doesn't really feel, at least on mine, and I'm sure they're all a little bit different, but I don't like it. I've seen the whole test, right? They put the two sticks coming out from the dude in the rain on the bike. Have you seen that video? The one without ABS. So they, they take these two, like, training wheels, basically, but they go out about 10 feet. They're like, why? this is why ABS is so important on a bike. And they have a dude in the rain, or I think they just had sprinklers on the track, but... He's coming down doing 60 miles an hour and grabs the brakes. And on the first one, he just like hugs the bike and the whole bike tips over onto the training wheel and kind of slides like that. And then the second one with ABS, you see it kind of shudder and eventually come to a stop, but he's able to actually hold the bike up. And that's like their, this is why it's so important. Oh, that was probably Honda with their CABS. That would make sense. Yeah, it, it was an older video. It's not like a new video by any means. Like so, 07, 08. Yeah, probably. Well, I won't. I won't mention who put out a video, but there's a there's a newer video on YouTube right now where a guy's testing all those theories, and he's proven multiple times in the video that a good rider with a good feel for the brake can beat ABS every time. ABS is simply to stop the guy that's panic braking when somebody right. pulls out in front of him. Yeah, which makes sense. Yeah, makes sense. I did. Uh some magazine stuff in the past and uh one of the press events that i went to was for the honda cbr 600 c abs and that was at the honda test facility in like california city up near willow springs while it was pouring down rain okay and uh that was uh that was the first time i had ever ridden a track in the rain (laughs) and it was actually kind of cool Riding a bike with electronics, going, yeah, get that out of here. Let me ride the bike. <laughs> Even in the rain. Even in the rain. Yeah. And 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 your skid pad story kind of reminded me of that. Like, they, they had us come through the skid pad, like, okay, turn all this stuff off. Yeah, how fast can you stop? And then, oh, yeah, here's our ABS. Now how fast can you stop? And I was like, all right, let me do this. I did it came back and they're like, eh, yeah, we're not going to share your times. 
(laughs) (laughs) Oh man. That makes sense. So how often, how often is your traction control going? I know it depends on where you have it set, but that is one thing I kept chuckling about at Chuckwalla is there is a ton of grip out there. Yeah. Um, I'm not making any arguments, had great grip, but I have never seen my ABS light was yelling at me or not my ABS, my, the traction would not stop. Like, like I've seen that light three times in all my track history and at Chuck Walla, it might as well have just been solid because it was, (laughs) I actually talked to my tuner about it because I had my stuff turned way, 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 way down. And it was still over intervening. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they were actually like, Oh, huh. Well, guess what? We've got settings for that. So here, here's an updated tune, put it on your bike and let us know. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll find out next month, but yeah, it's even with everything turned down at Chuck Walla, you can get that light to light up pretty well you're on the side of the tire and you're grabbing so much throttle. It, it's just, you're putting everything to the test at Chuck. Just so, nature of the, the turns and the track and whatnot. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, you're not scrubbing a whole lot going in and then you get to the gas so quickly out. Um, yeah. If, if, if your TC isn't screaming at you, you're not riding it. So there you go. Good. You hear that? Ethan? I was riding it. Yeah. 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 <laughs> what tires are you running cole what what tires were you running i was bouncing around i was running r7s mostly okay dunlop. so dunlop yeah yeah no that's the threes and the fives are are tough to ride out there um sevens and eights are kind of where everybody's going but yeah the pirellis you can you can run the softer tire you're just you're getting one race out of them versus two maybe three hmm. so i actually I actually kind of got stuck on and so me and Easton go to a lot of different tracks, try out a lot of different tracks. And I just kind of settled in on an R7. It, it works everywhere. Right. Yeah. And R8 maybe scared me a little bit because I'd love a tire to last longer, but I need maximum traction sure. right? in my mind, just for a peace of mind, if nothing else. But when we were at podium club, I threw some R8s on both my bikes, actually, and they were they wore so nice, and I didn't feel a difference on the track. And everybody kept saying, "Oh no, it's just a, it's just kind of a podium club thing. You run a harder tire there." And I podium said, "Okay, club so in Utah, yeah, yeah." So when I showed up to Chuck, <laughs> I still had some R8s to burn off at Chuck Walla, and I thought they felt fine. I switched to an R7. I didn't really, at my level, I didn't feel a giant improvement switching to an r7 so i don't know i might be hanging around that r8 a little more often yeah Uh, hey if you get more with the cost of them if you get more out of it and you don't feel a difference you know yeah i don't think there's there's not a whole lot at podium club where you need you're not on the side of the tire at podium club that much right like at chuck you you spend a lot of time on the sidewall at at utah not quite as bad as Chuck, but a lot of time on the sidewalk. At Podium Club, you're on the, the tire a lot. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, an R8. Yeah. And that's what I did, R7, R8. Did you do the – were you out there for the 
the massacre or was it yep. for CRA? Yeah, for massacre. the massacre. Yeah, that was uh, that was an entertaining weekend. Did, did you see me ride the GS out there? Is that you? Yeah, I, I, I did one, maybe two sessions on the GS. I think I remember so, seeing it. I think I remember I seeing it. I didn't know it was you, but yeah, I, I seen you. I pissed a guy off so bad, he came off the track at the end of the session, rode right into the bed of his truck and left. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, that's the way to do it. Dude, I had TC turned off, ABS turned way down, and and he was on a double R. I was all over him through the whole track. He would pull away from me up the front straightaway. We were going clockwise. So he would pull away from me coming up the front straightaway, and I would close right back onto him as we came over the rise down into turn <laughs> one. I would be right back on him, showing him a wheel here and there. Yeah, and man. he got so mad that he came off the track, rode right into the bed of his truck, and left. <laughs> That's good. Well. And That's I was good. on a GS on Nobbies. <laughs> I might have to leave, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah. That's good. good, good I mean, I, I can I can say I know where he's coming from. There's been some times in my life where I have not been. Uh, once again, I I don't have racing under my belt. I'm not the fastest guy, and I've been shown up by by some supermoto guys. And yeah, you hit the straight and you go nuts, and then they just dive in underneath you. And it's some random turn. You're like, what the, like, how are you doing that for me anyway? But they always take the weirdest lines. They throw me off, right? Like I've, I've no issues with bikes coming in next to me or whatever, but I never expect them to come in where they are. Supermoto guys just have the strangest lines in my head. Maybe there's just something I don't know, but anyway. Cole, should we, should we let the cat out of the bag? Like how big of a guy am I? Yeah, let's do it. I'd like to know too. I mean, I know, but I'd like to know. No. So I'm I'm six three, about two seventy. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So double my height and. Yeah. 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 I'm, I'm <laughs> twice. I'm two of you, Easton. Yeah. <laughs> Just about. Uh, and so, what do you weigh, Easton? We didn't get about your weight. Uh, One forty-five. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Damn near double. Yeah. So jealous. Well, that's why he's got he's got darker teeth than I do. That's why. That's why it's, it's, uh, yeah, Easton's miserable on the straightaways. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. That's true. He is, we, we've had a lot of time to, you know, mess around with each other on track. And it, he, he makes me angry, especially with the Aprilia under him. Well, that one just makes sense. The <laughs> best was, the best was when I had an Aprilia parked in the pit and I beat the same Aprilia on my 750 down the straight three or four different times. And the dude, I, I purposely let him pass me in the last corner a couple of times just because I was like, I, I passed that guy last time. Kept kept in front of him, and I just like, I heard him behind me. So let him come, and I, I wanted to get a look at it to make sure it wasn't 1100. And sure enough, it was. And then I just, gone. So. Yeah, I, I did that years ago. We were having a private track day at the Streets of Willow. I was mm -hmm. on a GS6R600. I had a finance manager female on the back seat and one of my sales guys was on a brand new like 07 gsxr 1000 okay mm -hmm. came off of the skid pad up the front straight away through turn one through turn two and i oh i've got the mirrors on he's on a race bike she's right. on the back seat and she's not like a little person 
not huge, but little. We get mm-hmm. into turn two, and I look in the mirror, and all I can see is this dude in his camel, uh, Rossi camel Honda <laughs> leather suit on a yellow GSXR 1000 cartwheeling out through the desert. Oh, man. And I've got a girl on the backseat of a GSXR 600. We go around, come back in, crash truck brings him in. He's like, yeah, man. He goes, I, I, I just, I got in too deep on the brakes. Dude, you weren't even on the brakes. You were still like thinking about turning when <laughs> you just cartwheeled and went for a ride out through the desert. And uh, I got a nickname then like, uh, suck it up was, was the nickname that the shop had given me back then. Cause <laughs> good. This, this guy tried to suck it up and, and come up on me with a passenger on twice the bike and couldn't so. <laughs> sent it out the, out the other side. Hell yeah. 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 That's good. Yeah. We, we had fun back in the analog days before TC <laughs> and ABS. <laughs> analog days you know i like that i'm gonna have to i'm I'm sad i already that video i was talking about earlier i already filmed that and i didn't say analog so kind of kind of bummed but coin that phrase yeah analog bikes bring them back yeah i'm so i'm so old my video games like excite bike had analog bikes (laughs) (laughs) oh man space invaders with uh no tc yeah yeah they're just little squares running around right right uh, well, we better let me let me let me get your take. MotoGP, who you got this year? I don't even know who's in it. I quit following that stuff. When it All became right. the Ducati Cup, I stopped watching. Hey, what do you know? <laughs> we ain't the only ones. All right. It's, it's <laughs> not we don't need to get on all that. Okay, Moto America then. What what do you think? Kanye uh, again? I, you know, I, I think if Cam stays healthy, I think it's Cam's year. All right. That's good to hear. I think that's what what we're both hoping for, but yeah, yeah. No, I I, I would like to see it. it. It's wishful thinking, but yeah, if he doesn't yeah. get taken out by Ashton and everybody else, and you know, stays yeah. healthy and yeah, finishes, and he's definitely got the talent. I think that's what we saw last year. Is he's he's got the talent. He can do it. Um, yeah, yeah. Which I mean, he did it before, so it makes sense. Yeah. But so, I think the better yeah. way to put that is the bike. The, we all know Cam has the talent, right? The bike proved last year that it could do it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So another bike other than Yamaha proved that. What do you know? You know, just, just like back in the day when it was Maladin and, and Spees, somebody else won a race. Yeah. Right. <laughs> That's how it'd be. Well, anyway, Jeff, I do have some stuff to get to. And we talked earlier about how I'm in South Carolina and you're in California. So we got a little bit of time difference. Yeah. So. But it has been great um, talking with you. I don't know if you want to leave us with any uh, wise words or any shout outs or anything like that. Thank you guys for having me. Thank Bison Track for all that love. Long Beach BMW for all the love. Apex Assassins for all the love. CVMA Racing for all the love. Cole, we'll see you at round four. Oh, I can't do round four, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I got a hill. Yeah. We'll come down and watch. he's got a a point he's got a point he's got a point all right well hey um if you're still listening please go check out long beach bmw motorcycles go say hi to jeff uh and if you're down in south Carolina, or not sorry southern california uh by all means as always 
get out, watch a CVMA event, think about buying a motorcycle, buy a motorcycle, and go race. And we'll leave you with that. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll see you next week. Thank you. Thank you.